0: Hello and welcome to the bonfire. I'm your host, Cinco. Now, before you have any questions, my nickname is Cinco because I'm Salvador V. It was mentioned in last week's podcast, so I figured why not use my nickname? Anyways, today we are reviewing the first full story arc of Oblivion Song written by Robert Kirkman and illustrated by Lorenzo de Felici. If you have any input, please feel free to comment and share and start a discussion. Well, I hope you enjoy. Well, I haven't introduced you yet. That'd be a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Today, I have a super special guest, uh, Nathan, who hasn't been on the podcast since episode one, and that's when we reviewed Venom. So, how long ago was that? Like, almost a year now.
1: Wait, reviewed Venom? Or we just talked no, about No, Yeah, like, we talked about rumors.
0: <laughs> and we never actually reviewed Venom on this podcast, too. <laughs> I which haven't kinda seen set. it. You haven't seen it? No, I, I didn't get to see it. Actually, one of our predictions did come true, though. Which was that it would be re- rated PG-13.
1: Right, and that it would suffer because of that. Yeah,
0: because initially, the rumors that were that it was going to be rated R. Mm-hmm. Which would have been awesome. Yeah, and then like a month before they released the first trailer, they announced that it was going to be PG-13. And I could have sworn that was going to be because of Tom Holland's cameo. Right. But then he never had a cameo. (laughs) So it was just PG-13 for no reason. Yeah, it was because
1: Marvel knows they've got to make money off the young ones.
0: The young ones who want to go to the movies. Yep.
1: And they can't go. if It's rated R.
0: Yeah, which is unfortunate because Deadpool was so successful. And I'm sure the PG-13 cut's going to be successful. Of? Like, of Deadpool. There's a PG-13 cut? Yeah, coming out this Christmas. You haven't heard about that? No. Yeah, it's... Dude, the trailers look hilarious because it's, like, super self-aware of the fact that it's going to PG-13. So is they it like filmed like, a best bunch, Yeah, like, a bunch of extra things to, like, put into the movie to make it PG-13. Oh,
1: that sounds like it's worth watching on its own. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, seriously, it is. And... I guess Deadpool is, like, totally different, but...
1: Yeah, you can't really do that with Venom. With
0: Venom, yeah, but that that movie wasn't great, so... Yeah, I, I didn't get to see it. That's, like, a wait-till-it-comes-out-on-Netflix kind of movie. Okay. For sure. Yeah,
1: I'll go get it on Redbox.
0: Did you see The Outlaw King?
1: I still haven't watched that yet. You still have not and watched that. And I haven't that. watched Daredevil either. Um, I've been so
0: busy. Uh, Aaron... God, I can't even remember his name. The guy from Kick-Ass. You've seen Kick-Ass, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the guy who plays the the main guy in Kick Ass,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he plays uh, a character in that movie, and his performance is amazing. And I didn't even recognize him until halfway through the movie. Literally, I was like, like, there's this part of the movie that just gave me chills, and then I was like, who is this guy? And googled him on my phone, and I was like, that's the Kick Ass kid because <laughs> he's like still like ripped like how he was as Quicksilver in uh, Age of Ultron,
1: right? Which I didn't even realize that was him either.
0: Yeah. And then he also played Brian Cranston's son in uh, Godzilla. I thought you were about to say Breaking Bad. <laughs> I was like, no way. <laughs> I didn't see Godzilla either. Man, I
1: sound like I have just not been... I watched Titans, though, everybody. I've been watching things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's more than I can say. I haven't seen a single episode of that. we
1: got to watch it. i got to show you that, because it's
0: actually... I like it a lot. All right. Oblivion Song is what we're actually talking about today. Yeah. So first we're just going to go over initial thoughts of the comic book, the the basic questions. And then as is like the last podcast, we're going to ask some harder questions, try and make these comics a little bit more topical to what's actually happening and how we can make pop culture relevant in a more uh, deep and, I don't know, how do you say it, a better way. (laughs) Just make it good.
1: All right, make pop culture do good, work well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh,
0: and then we're also going to just talk about our thoughts uh, of comic books in general and their effect uh, is because of Bill Maher's recent statement. We're just going to kind of respond to that, and then we'll talk about our final thoughts and ratings of the comic book. And I actually haven't told you how we're rating comic books now. Because nope. originally we tried coming up with like this like really awesome rating system where it was like either you're gonna like wait till the movie comes out on Netflix and that was like kind of like a a two out of ten mm-hmm. was the equivalent. But now we've kind of decided that all pop culture is worth something and that I don't know. And that the, the rating system should be completely arbitrary. Because you should be able to see pop culture and formulate some sort of opinion about something in it. Okay. You shouldn't just like – you shouldn't just see a movie and be like, I liked it or I didn't like it. You know, And if you didn't like it, <laughs> why you, didn't, you, why like didn't it? you like it or just like – But did you learn something from not liking it? Exactly. And So that's why a rating system is going to be arbitrary because we don't want to say that one piece of art is like superior to the other purely based off of entertainment value. Right. So, right, like Thor Ragnarok was a huge learning experience for me.
1: <laughs>
0: this is not I, a Thor Ragnarok I, podcast. I learned, I learned so much from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first question the best question that I ask at the beginning of every podcast Did you like it? Did you hate it? What about it did you like? I really like
1: Oblivion's song, at least issues one through nine so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i think that there's there's a lot of things to like about it the new setting like the kind of mechanics of him switching between worlds his relationship with his brother the people adjusting to coming back to real life there's a lot of character drama that appears just from the setting which is really cool and so that's not even we're not even talking about how people are written yet we're just talking about from the premise that kirkman has set up we've already got a lot of things to go on And then now adding the idea that he was the one that caused it, and that's why he feels this obligation to go back and save everybody. Like, it makes Nathan's character really complicated and really cool because now he's got this dynamic with his brother where they're, like, two opposing idealists who believe, you know, in, you know, Nathan's trying to figure out repentance and trying to figure out how he can make good what he's done, whereas Ed... Is you know grateful to Nathan for doing that, and he wants everyone to experience what he experienced because it changed him so fundamentally. And so you've got these two crazy idealists who are probably hurting people because none of them are asking what anyone else wants. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's what makes it so interesting. Is and I think that's really going to develop, especially after I can talk about like everything that's happened, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, like, totally. Spo- like I always say, spoilers don't matter on this podcast. <laughs> um. So, yeah, spoiler warning.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, especially after the final frame of issue nine where his brother sets off the machine again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm assuming that it causes the same thing to happen again, maybe more or less catastrophic. But like that, I can see now that they're
0: setting up these two brothers to be enemies. I guess like but also forced to kinda of work together as enemies. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like they're they're two opposing ideas, but they're obviously both fighting, you know, nature and the government within <laughs> that was another thing that's so crazy is that you've got him fighting for his life inside of oblivion while the government is finding out his secrets in the real well not the real world, I guess, you know, that's not very fair. That's fair. The...
0: <laughs> both in worlds Philadelphia. Are
1: yeah. In Philadelphia. And so like the idea that he's going to come back to this new problem in Philadelphia, it's like things are brewing in both dimensions at the same time, which again creates this really complicated story. I'd like to learn more about about how it ha- like where these
0: things are from. Where these things are from, yeah.
1: I think it would be really cool if they started categorizing and giving them some of them names, so we can recognize some of the creatures and what they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that takes away from some of the mystery.
0: Well, yeah, but even Kirkman says, like in the back uh, parts of the comic where he's responding to to readers, they even like uh, commend Lorenzo De Felici on the his his work on the monsters. And then they describe them. And so there's clearly a want to see like more of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I really like that. I, like, I would like the lore of Oblivion to get drawn out, and I'm sure it will. But especially, oh, there's that mystery scene. Was that 8 or 9? Where he, just for a second, lands near that lake, and you see that strange cryptic building with the faceless guy's silhouette, and then he disappears again.
0: The faceless guys. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that.
1: Yeah, like that's that is, I think that's the most intriguing part of this comic so far because I think they have something to do with why the energy surge was so spectacular. But like, oh, I I wish I could remember which issue it is. It's so cool. Like, the coolest foreshadowing I've seen in a long yeah, time. Yeah, because it was that
0: guy, that random dude who was like running oh, right away there. from Ed.
1: Yeah, he's like, he's like there for a second. He lands next to this lake. And there's this really cryptic really futuristic, definitely doesn't look like part of Oblivion House off on the lake, and he sees the silhouette of a faceless guy and then he disappears. And that's all we get. And and
0: we've seen the faceless guys twice. We don't know who they are, but they seem like these like hyper intelligent beings. I don't know, it's And I think that's just a testament to Robert Kirkman's genius. Like he just always presents you with the next thing that wants you to like makes you want to keep reading the comic because you just wanna find out like exactly what's happening. Yeah. With with this kind of epidemic
1: actually this is my favorite panel in the whole it is it's an issue eight you gotta look at it guys it's just a full page full page yeah
0: beautiful lake some creatures swimming
1: through it then the futuristic house that looks so out of place and and then the moon yeah and then and you get that weird
0: like sinew webbed like sky that they've been doing
1: yeah for sure and yeah testament to lorenzo de felici because that does look really his his landscapes look awesome
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: but uh but yeah i just love that i think that's I thought that was such a clever... Because, again, it uses the mechanics of the comic book, his dimension switching, and it uses it as this really clever form of foreshadowing where he's like, oh, wait, what's that? And then he's gone.
0: It, uh, the comic definitely went to a place that I was not expecting at all. I thought it was going to be the slow buildup like you see in The Walking Dead or, or other of uh, Kirkman's comics where it's the slow buildup where you know, you're, you're given what you're given at face value and then those things start to change and evolve. Whereas this, it was like you thought you were given whatever it was at face value and then all of a sudden he just turned it on its head and was like, no, that's not what's happening at all. This is actually what's what's going down, yeah. you know. He, he first threw the twist of of the faceless men, and then the twist of Nathan doing it all, and then the twist that his brother was actually alive, which happened in like issue like two or three. You found out that Ed yeah. was alive. Mm. Like you thought this was gonna be this whole drawn out story arc where. He was eventually maybe going to find his brother, but they were like, nope, he, he's already found him, and then we're going to go from there.
1: Yeah, that makes me wonder what he's planning for this big story. Because if that's a minor detail, him finding his long-lost brother, then, like, what what is going to change? Like, I worry that, like, we're going to see, like, the end of Philadelphia. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or even like. the
0: end of... Earth and and maybe he'll try and have to reverse it. Yeah, like like some somehow. big
1: things could happen. I thought this was just going to be the story about the one instance and then the switch, mm-hmm. but it's showing that like we're going to have a lot of dimensional elements at play. It's yeah, that be we're really... just
0: getting started. Yeah, because I remember originally when Kirkman was pitching this comic, uh, before issue one was out, he was talking about how this comic was a different apocalyptic comic book, and that we're starting. 10 years already into the apocalypse mm-hmm. we're not starting from when the apocalypse starts mm-hmm. and that was a huge selling point point. and then all of a sudden in issue nine he's like wait nope we're gonna just have another apocalypse on top of the 10-year apocalypse that we've already been having right so i mean it's just layers of complexity and excitement just building hopefully into this huge battle between ed and nathan you know i don't know how that's going to resolve but
1: mm-hmm. but i
0: think that's going to be one of the highlights of this comic book is to eventually see them come to terms with their own views and also come to terms with each other's decisions. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I really like where it's going and I think he, he doesn't forget about the little things too, that he's always so good at mm-hmm. and like the drama between Duncan and, uh, oh, what's her name? Duncan and his wife.
0: Oh, that they're breaking up. Right, because because he so. was
1: gone for two years and so
0: And so she found another, she found person. another person. Yeah.
1: Like that that sort of attention to detail is, is so Robert Kirkman.
0: hmm Like and, to include that. Yeah, and Invincible that was I'm surprised he pulled that as early as he did. Um and I'm just gonna talk about Invincible for a second because one of the most powerful parts of Invincible is later into the run of the comic book, but uh Mark, who's the main character, Invincible, is basically sent back in time, and he's given the option to basically save as many people as he possibly can, uh, and basically right his wrongs. And uh, he ends up saying no because he's still in love with Eve, and he he knows she's pregnant with with his child. Mm-hmm. And when he's when he refuses the offer to go back and save everyone, right, save millions of people's lives, and right. he refuses it. And he goes back and it finds out that that jump in time cost him like four years of his life. Mm-hmm. And so his his child, his daughter was already born.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Eve had already moved on and found another person. Yeah. And that was so powerful because you saw Mark just completely destroyed by the fact that no matter what decision he made, it was ultimately the wrong decision. Right. Um,
1: that he was going to lose like th- those... His love for Eve was so fleeting in comparison to like four years or mm-hmm. or the millions of lives he could have saved. Exactly. But it was so important to him. And it seems so noble. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, well, you know, four years she found someone else. It was worth nothing.
0: <laughs> and, and I don't know if that's necessarily a criticism of Oblivion Song because this comic, its style seems to be, let's upend the kind of normal tropes that Kirkman usually uses. In I think it might be a statement in saying, I'm not going to pull that kind of thing in this comic like we're just gonna set it off now Mm -hmm. and it just makes me wonder and hope for bigger more emotional kind of outbursts like that yeah that will come up in the future and and it's hard to to think of something more emotional and more powerful than missing four years of your your child's life and realizing that the love of your life thought you were dead and like those are like really powerful things that he just kind of skimmed right over in this comic book.
1: Yeah, that's true, and and hopefully there's more of that. Hopefully, because that is that is some of the really good stuff in Kirkman's writing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I am happy with it so far for sure. I I'm still uh, getting used to characters' names and stuff, though. So yeah, like, we, uh... we definitely
0: derailed from the. Did you like it? I think. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's a very good comic. Um, I think because we kind of answered all the rest of the questions that I had about it, um, but but let's talk more specifically about the artwork, Lorenzo De Felici, because I don't think there's enough good things to say about how Kirkman is revolutionizing comic books and making them real real stories for adults, not just superhero stories. Right. Um. So yeah, the artwork.
1: Yeah. Well, we already complimented Lorenzo on his uh, scenery.
0: Um, and the creatures and the like creatures that. are
1: so cool yeah we just we're flipping through the comic book just flip through one you you'll see like all the creatures and the it, it's very i mean even even Philadelphia is like really cool looking
0: mm-hmm.
1: but one of the complaints we both had we talked about before was some of the faces at least nathan's face mm-hmm. it seems kind of inconsistent like there's some we're looking at, there's some panels where he looks really he looks good he looks natural and he looks i think 30 40.
0: Maybe <laughs> I don't know how all he's supposed to be, but
1: that's because and and it switches. But then, like some of the close-ups hit, and he just looks completely different. And you're, you, the, like
0: the really detailed kind of portraits of him, definitely don't seem consistent with the rest of the the comic book. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I totally agree. Nathan's face is just kind of. It's it's so, it's like slightly off, but I don't know what it like exactly it is. And um, it's the
1: character's face, not my face.
0: N- yeah, not not Nathan's <laughs> face, but like Nathan's face. My
1: face is beyond repair. But we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about an artist's decision to uh, God. Look at. <laughs> I, I
0: really think it's because, uh, but like, look at his face in this picture. Look how long his face yeah, is. Yeah, and then
1: it's like really round in other pictures. Yeah,
0: and and his ears in this picture are especially low, like mm-hmm. low on his face. Yeah. Which I think is is strange. Yeah, I'd like, I like. I think it's part of Lorenzo's style, though, and I think it's one of those things that you might get used to once you're like on issue fifty or whatever. Yeah. But or, it's definitely kind of difficult to get used to now. Or maybe Lorenzo's still kind of figuring out what Nathan looks like. Maybe, yeah. Uh,
1: because it's only nine issues, so he's drew. I mean, he's drawn his face a bunch, but.
0: And they always produce comics way ahead of time too. Yeah. So he's probably already drawn the first, I I'd guess, at least 20.
1: Right. Yeah. Like like I said, it's not like he looks horrible all the time. He, there are parts where I'm like, okay, I think I know what Nathan like. the
0: cover like. of issue 8 is a really good uh, example of Nathan looking like natural. He also looks younger, 30-ish probably. And then there's other. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he
1: looks good with his brother here too in issue 9. Yeah, him and Ed look real good, and they look like brothers too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but, but yeah, I think it's but it's like the side shots; it's just the up front, full front shots that Lorenzo seems to just kind of.
0: Yeah, and then the other I when I reviewed this comic book with Zach, uh, we reviewed just when issue one came out. We talked about that the action in the comic book is a little hard to follow because. Of this style of artwork, it seems very choppy. Like Nathan is in one position and then he's in a completely different position in a completely different location. And it's just hard to follow exactly what's happening. Um, and I think that's something that might get kind of fixed as the comic book goes on, that that action might highlight the monsters in Nathan versus each other a little bit more or versus whoever. But right now, it just seems like a lot of, like, dodging and, like, not knowing what's going on and just chaos. <laughs> yeah, suddenly he's over there mm-hmm, and yeah. the creature's bursting through the building. Um, but, but despite that action, I think it makes up for it in the artwork of the, the, these creatures. Because these creatures are so unique and they're really interesting to look at. So I think despite the kind of choppy action, in my opinion... It's still an interesting comic to look at and flip through.
1: For sure, yeah. I think it's a bigger picture comic than Kirkman's used to writing. I think
0: Uh, that's a really good way to articulate that. It's it's
1: it's less about specific instances and moments, and like like it's less about day to day, hour to hour, and it's more like here is what's going on. Here's the flow of it.
0: mm -hmm. It's more like you're trying to understand the feeling. So yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because in you know, I'm used to that that certain flow that you get with action comic books. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, should I appreciate the, the maybe the purposeful feeling of chaos that Lorenzo is trying to do? Yeah. Um, but it's hard to tell right now. Yeah, for sure. Because it's still so early in, in the comic. Um, well, yeah, that, that's it for the initial thoughts or initial thoughts on the comic book. And then we kind of want to talk about how it applies to broader themes. Uh, specifically more political, more topical themes that we can relate to to our time now. So uh, the first question that I have, and, and we kind of spoke on this a little bit earlier, is that Nathan and Ed both present these very idealistic truths that they believe. Uh, each of them b- believes in these truths devoutly and that they're 100% right. And they lack an understanding for each other's perspectives. Um, and we want to kind of address why that mentality can be detrimental to some people the the mentality of believing in absolute truths um or or is one of them right
1: right because they both believe that they can force people to do something and that the people will be grateful for it later on Mm -hmm. they both believe like hey They might not want it now, but if I bring them back, nobody else has wanted to go back to oblivion. Whereas uh, Ed is saying like, hey, I know being in oblivion changed me for the better. It made me more grateful for who I was. So I want everyone to experience that. So I shouldn't give them a choice. I should force them to go through the crucible that I went through to make them all better because they're all living these fake, terrible lives. And so they both believe, yeah, they both believe that they know what's best for everybody. And so that's what's tough is that they're opposing viewpoints, and they're not really asking anyone any questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're they don't they don't understand any sort of other perspective.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're and and I think they both come from very. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an, an argument here and say that I I think that Nathan comes from a more righteous point. I think that. He's a man driven by righting his own wrongs and that's where this delusional ideal and truth comes from where I feel like Ed hasn't had that kind of – that same kind of – I don't know how to say it. Same kind of experience or that same kind of guilt on his conscience to perpetuate his morals and beliefs onto others.
1: Right. I'm trying to think. There's a comic book bad guy that believes in making heroes better by breaking them. It's not. I'm not talking about like Bane. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the obvious choice. I forget who it is. They they're like their philosophy is is that if I can put them through the terrible pain that I went through, then they'll be like a better hero for it. it might be Spider Man villain. I forget who it is. I I don't know why I can't. Yeah, I don't it. know. But but that's like if you look at like All Star Batman, like mm-hmm. like Two Face like, wanting people to go through what he does so he they can have his perspective. Like, oh, God, I wish I could remember the villain. It's so... but But to put it in, like, the most simple comparison, like, I feel like Nathan and Ed are, like... Nathan is, like, Batman. Because mm-hmm. he feels like this guilt and this duty to save these people regardless and like he's brutal about it and he's he doesn't care about the law he doesn't care about what they think he cares about doing it because he thinks it's right and he's misguided and all sorts of fucked up because of it oh do we swear on this podcast oh yeah you do we swear, swear. yeah Anyways,
0: can I <laughs> you should listen to the last one there's a whole shit ton of uh, swearing Oh uh,
1: shit ton of swearing <laughs> <laughs> but uh oh god I I'm gonna die. I'm gonna remember it in the middle and I'm just gonna shout it but there's a villain who who his sole goal is to make heroes more powerful by putting them through tragedies. And I feel like that's what Ed is talking about how you can hurt somebody, but it's for the better. It's to make them better mm-hmm. because he's been hurt and he knows that it made him better. Yeah. And, and the weak people will you know will die and will be there'll be less weak people in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah and and yeah, and I think Ed, or uh, not Ed, sorry, Nathan, has a perspective that nobody else possesses in this comic book because it, it was his fault. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that necessarily makes him right in the decision that he's making, but he, he's the only character with a perspective that is completely different from every other character's. Right. Um, because he knows it was his fault and he he's trying to clear that guilt off of his conscience Mm -hmm. by somehow saving as many people as he can
1: yeah well what's crazy too is it's like it was a complete accident like they're they're only you know they'd done they said they'd done all of the math they'd done they'd run tons of scenarios and like the biggest it would get was like a small window into the next world and then Mm -hmm. it took the like entire portion of the city so you know like he honestly i can see how he feels guilt like that uh, that's i'm not saying that he shouldn't but like it was clearly an accident, so he's definitely got that moral gray. And his girlfriend says that too; is like he's a good man who's trying to make up for an honest mistake.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's exactly what it is. So yeah, he definitely has that moral strength.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think Ed just—I think Ed doesn't possess. I think neither of them possess that ability to say, say both sides are saved. Because Nathan could come to a realization that even though he's not actively bringing them back to Philadelphia, that they are in a way saved because they're living their best life in oblivion. Right. Um, I think he's more morally guilty about the people he killed. As a result of the accident in the experiment.
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: And he can't save the people that he killed because they're dead.
1: Right, so he's never going to feel completely absolved. But he does know that he can save the people that are still in there. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's trying to do.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right, next question. Oh, we kind of just talked about this, but. (laughs) Gosh darn it. (laughs) Who's right? Uh, We're just going to pass over that question um nathan. nathan nathan is right oh wait no ed is right no yeah this is like a captain america civil war thing
1: mm-hmm. shoot yourself in the knee with small caliber bullets and move up to bigger caliber bullets to get an immunity to bullets <laughs> what <laughs> Sorry, I is that from something no i just got like possessed there. <laughs> okay <laughs>
0: Oh, All right, you know,
1: uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, like sh- hurt yourself to get strong. All right, forget it, forget it.
0: <laughs> uh, well, okay, we, we can expand on this question more, and I think a really a really hard question. And you and I have have honestly battled before, not battled, we've debated battled that, and, and we've both come to kind of a consensus that, and, and bring it to real real world politics, that a sense of blind party loyalty. Which I think is comparable to kind of what Ed and Nathan are saying if we're bringing it to a much more real world topical thing. right? Blind party loyalty is detrimental to everybody. Mm -hmm. Because it it forces people to believe in an absolute truth that then never allows for compromise. Which in, in a democracy is what it's all about. It's about the compromise in the middle, not never backing down from your position
1: right yeah and well and they're both really selfish too because nathan is doing this for himself like even though he's trying to make it right he's doing it for his own guilt he's not asking any of the people if they want to be saved he's like no i have to do this for my own guilt and then ed is like oh i went through this this is how i feel about that this has made me better so it's going to make everybody better mm-hmm. so yeah they're all blind to what they see as the world and and they're they're sticking with it because that's their personal experience and they're not taking into account anybody else. And yeah, so that's extremely really it's dangerous.
0: Yeah. And and to bring it back, I, I think you you said it's it's would you believe that blind part, party loyalty in a way can be selfish?
1: Oh yeah, it's 100% selfish because it's it's just giving yourself the the gratification of belonging to that party. You're like, oh, the Republicans are always right, or oh, the Democrats are always right, and I'm a part of that party, so I'm doing like the right thing by siding with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's, yeah,
0: it's selfish to not even consider other people's ideas. And I think this comic book illustrates that idea in such a visceral way because mm-hmm. it's hard, because the political system is so complex, blind party loyalty is so hard to synthesize into a single. Moment or action or relationship that everybody can relate to, mm-hmm. but I think this comic book does a really good job of saying, okay, here are the problems that happen when two people believe in absolute truths that are opposing to each other. Right. You know, and and it really synthesizes all of those things we believe about politics into a simple relationship. Yeah. And I think it makes it really obvious why there's problems in that yeah. because it's frustrating as the reader. It's frustrating to be like, why can't they just understand each other? Yeah. And they're brothers. They should even have more of a connection and more of an understanding and, and sense of empathy for each other. Right. But they just don't because their absolutes are so different from each other. And, and I think that's very, very topical to the, the kind of politics that we're dealing with today As you see Facebook posts and all of these things that are so opposite from each other, and nobody ever backs down. Yeah, exactly. There's never any sort of consensus, and there's n- there's never even really a consensus to say, "Well, let's agree to disagree." Mm-hmm. Right? It's just I'm wrong, and I, or I'm right, and you're wrong, and that's that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and people don't even ask, like, like people don't even try to get there anymore. They don't try to
1: find a middle ground anymore. You're right. It's it's about being right or being wrong and that's it. that's it. That's all there is. Mm-hmm. Like like a real discussion is about trying to find out what someone means when they say this is their stance. Like what what are the qualifiers? What what like no there's no absolute. Like <laughs> you can't just be like I don't think that Anybody who immigrates should be allowed in America. Like, like, what about that? Like, what people? Who do you think should be? Do you honestly mean no mm. immigrants? You know what I mean? Like, the the. There's there's no more questions like that. It's just, well, you're a racist, and then mm. – <laughs> or or you're a crazy liberal snowflake. You, you know, mm. you're safe spaces. There's, there's no – it's all personal attacks. It's not about ideas anymore.
0: And I think those – I was about to say those personal attacks are very obvious in this comic, and that's like the central buzz of drama around these two characters and probably the drama we're going to see for issues to come is because – They're attacking each other personally for their personal beliefs Mm -hmm. rather than accepting and understanding the perspective of their ideals and coming through a consensus that way. They believe that it is because that person is wrong or dumb or um, any other adjective that makes someone beneath you. Yeah. Um, And and we see that in, in a very real way between these two characters. Right. Well,
1: what's cool, too, is that Nathan kind of unintentionally created Ed's philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, like, Ed is grateful to Nathan. He thinks Nathan did a great thing by doing the, what do they call it? The rapture? <laughs> what is it called again? The,
0: uh, the switcheroo, God. I think. <laughs> the the uh, Oblivion Philly.
1: Yeah, the Oblivion Philly. <laughs> I think that's a sub you can get now.
0: Yeah, the, the cheesesteak steak com- companies in uh, Philadelphia were super insensitive and just, like, made a sandwich called (laughs) oblivion
1: it's got real alien meat in it (laughs) but but yeah like that's what's so cool is that is that it's like no don't you see you did the right thing you are a good man because of this the, the complete opposite reason that nathan is that's what nathan's trying to atone for so yeah it's super super cool and that makes nathan's character all the stronger i think
0: yeah it makes a super complex dynamic i've never seen a dynamic so complex between Brothers, because brothers are used in comic books all the time. But yeah,
1: in stories all the yeah,
0: time. Yeah, yeah, and I've never seen a complex so uh, a relationship so complex.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting.
0: All right, we kind of <laughs> we kind of just answered the next question. We just keep answering <laughs> yeah. the questions without asking <laughs> them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to sum up, the, the next question was was both characters seem to be delusional in their ideals and and. You know, is that a problem to have full loyalty with one side? And I think we, we summed that up and, and said yes. We, we think that, that completely believing in one thing as an absolute truth while never compromising on other people's perspectives or even understanding a perspective without compromising becomes a huge problem for not only the characters in a fictional story, but also real life things. Yeah. Um, well, let's give this comic a rating an arbitrary rating
1: an arbitrary so do I give like a number or a letter i don't know you'd like be like explain? i'd be like
0: four ducks out of like six chickens is like an arbitrary <laughs> rating okay that's a pretty because it like rating. really doesn't mean anything
1: <laughs> <laughs> i give this comic book a yes
0: with three check marks i think that's pretty good <laughs> which uh, honestly though if i saw an amazon review that said yes with three check marks yeah. i'd probably buy it caps locked yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Trump tweet,
1: but it says not fake news. Great read. <laughs> 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 and everyone's retweeting it and party lines are all blurred now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now everybody's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, but yeah, I think it's amazing. I think it's really good. I, I think we talked about the goods and the bads. I'd like to see more smaller details. I'd like to see a little more of that classic moment to moment action. But I do like the big picture it's drawing. And I think it's set up for something really interesting. And it's it's going to build a story that I could go on for a while. It's it's They've set up a, a world where lots of things can happen and lots of new elements can be introduced. So I'm, I'm stoked to see who the Faceless Men are and what they mean mm-hmm. for the rest of the series.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to discover more about this world that, that Kirkman is creating and more about this relationship that Ed and, and Nathan... I think that's what I'm most excited about is to see how any of this can possibly come to any sort of consensus or conclusion yeah. without like one of them dying or something well that's what i was thinking they'll probably kill each other <laughs> yeah and then like duncan will become the main character or something yeah. something crazy <laughs> he was like you thought nathan was the main character yeah um, no, just
1: my luck the one main character named nathan dies issue 10 <laughs>
0: It's saying something about people named Nathan. That's <laughs> not- that's how this issue is topical. It's just talking about, like, Nathans in general. <laughs> and Nathan Drake doesn't count. He goes by Drake. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's move on to the next subject of this podcast. We're going to set the comic books aside. Well, actually, we're not. Because we're going to be talking about comic books. Oh, really? We're <laughs> setting the, the Physical Oblivion Song comic book aside for now. Pick them up at your local comic book shop. Yeah, man. pick these up. Because I guarantee you, all of Robert Kirkman's comics... When in like five years, there's like a TV show and a movie and like, like all of these things, these, not only are these comics going to have a lot of monetary value, but, but it's really special to own like the original single issues of a comic book that becomes so popularized later Haven't on. Have you heard
1: anything else about the Invincible TV show or movie or whatever?
0: Uh, I heard a rumor that there was going to be an Invincible cartoon and I believe Seth Rogan is still trying to make an Invincible movie, mm. hmm. but I'm not sure.
1: Hopefully they do something with that
0: yeah and actually if you watch uh the walking dead on amc um there's a couple parts where they they have have cameo invincibles yeah yeah
1: Yeah, see i think was it carl Mm -hmm. plays with like a couple invincible like action action figures figures, yeah
0: and there's one time carl was reading an invincible comic book that's cool i I think that's awesome yeah but you know definitely didn't give the the comic more traction Rest rest in peace carl Oh, I was going to say rest in peace, Invincible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next thing is, uh, so Bill, uh, Bill Mayer. Um, Bill Mayer. Bill Mayer. He came out with a comment, uh, comment recently, and I could not for the life of me find the original statement, but I'm going to try my best to recollect uh, what he said. He said basically that uh, the reason Trump is in office is because people think that comic books are important. He then, uh, this was soon after Stanley died too, so a lot of people thought that it was in response to Stanley's death. He then later on said that it wasn't in response to Stanley's death, it was about comic book culture in general, and that he thinks anybody who believes that comic books have some sort of uh, value beyond entertainment the, that, that that's a, he, these are his words as a as a fucking dumb culture right to think that comics can create more than what they do. Mm-hmm. He also said that that people getting angry at him also proved his point right uh, that of all the things he said. Uh, well what he said
1: was kind of in response to Stanley's death because I think wasn't he making a comment on the fact that so many people were mourning him? And so it's like the fact that we're valuing a comic book man over anyone else. Yeah.
0: And, and I had a, a conversation with one of my professors about this and that uh, my professor was saying, well, because he agreed with Bill Maher. And he was saying that he thinks that Bill Maher was just trying to simply make us reevaluate our uh, priorities.
1: Right. But
0: they're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not what he said.
1: Right, because it's different to say, oh, we should make sure we're caring about the important things. But he's saying it's a dumb culture and that comic books can't have that sort of powerful impact that we think they can. Mm -hmm. But but the truth is they're just another medium for whatever message you want to get out. And that message can be just entertainment. It can just be a big old burly boy dressed like a bat beating on (laughs) bunches of bullshitters. But but it could also be like you know a serious political message or or a moral like actually that's what's so that's what makes me so heated about it is that he, you can tell he hasn't read any comic books because comic and he books, admitted it too yeah they're the modern day parables they're they're modern day Greek mythology we use them to teach lessons and tell stories and and show the effects of choices on individuals even like super individuals you know like Odysseus like um, oh, who's the guy that slept with his mom oedipus oedipus (laughs) (laughs) like people like that like tragedies and successes they they teach lessons And, and they are useful like to kids to adults it doesn't matter but but to say that they're only for entertainment is
0: is to i mean you know then is to discount an entire culture yeah an entire culture that he doesn't understand right a culture he doesn't understand and one that for years has proved him wrong, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so the problem I have with this argument, and, and especially when I was talking to my professor, is he was saying, well, he's a, a satirist. He's in all of the things he says are meant to elicit some sort of reaction, and so when he's saying that people are proving his point, he's he's saying that people are reacting to what he what he said, and that was his point. Um, and so I think. That made me kind of distance myself and reflect on the argument itself. I kind of had to step back and say, well, why am I getting mad? Why am I getting mad that this person said these things during Stanley's death? Mm -hmm. And it ultimately came down to I'm not angry at Bill Mayer, but I disagree with his argument. And I think that's where a lot of people are technically proving, quote unquote, proving his point is because they're just frustratingly attacking Bill Maher. And like we were just talking about with the comic books, attacking the person for an argument right, doesn't, doesn't solve doesn't anything. Do anything. Yeah. But let's look at the argument he presented.
1: Because mm-hmm. the truth is we should just be scoffing at what he's saying because we know it's not true. And, and there's plenty of evidence to support that. You know, Anyone who's, who reads comic books values them not just because they're pretty pictures and cool words like they feel like they've learned something from it they feel like they're getting something from it
0: mm-hmm. and even in comic books have an almost medicinal value to them too despite you know like Nathan and I here are analyzing comic books a lot and and talking about their their topical and political value and, and the medium that they are but also there there's something that, As entertainment, there's a value in entertainment, there's a medicinal purpose for entertainment, and that's because someone can escape maybe a world they don't want to be in for for an issue, or they can use the comic book to, to escape the problems that they're facing in their real life, and that in itself has value enough to justify the impact of comic books in our society and in our culture. Right, and justify why people who don't know Stan Lee are upset that he passed away, because he gave that to a lot of people. Yeah, and he gave that to a lot of people who felt attacked by a culture and society. <laughs> yeah, like he said, that's a pretty unifying <laughs> thing. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Democrat, Republican,
1: you know, Atheist, Christian, it doesn't, you know, Muslim, it doesn't matter. Like, people loved comic books. People loved Stan Lee. And so that's why the the tragedy of his death was so resounding and so took over everything. Cause, cause there's, there's no agenda behind Everyone can agree that it, it is upsetting that he's gone because he provided that for people.
0: Mm-hmm. He provided a world that, that, that gave people an escape and an outlet. And also it gave them people to aspire to and, and ideals to aspire to and ideals that it's so hard morally right and wrong. But for the most part, ideals that are morally just and right, things that you want to be teaching your children, you know, Mm -hmm. stick up for people, you know, follow the rules, help Mm -hmm. others. These are quintessential heroic values that kids are learning simply by reading an issue of Captain America or an issue of Superman or Batman. Right, And they learn it in different ways and through these stories that, yes, are entertaining. And and that's the best way to get that medium out to people is if Mm -hmm. you make it entertaining. Because if it was boring, nobody would want to read it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: An essay on the morality of superhuman physics. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's stupid. And sometimes the, the moral is that there are gray areas. Like, there's all sorts of lessons taught in comic books depending on the comic book. But, again... And we're just proving Bill Maher's point, so we should probably be quiet. <laughs>
0: and, 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 yeah, and I mean, I don't want this to be a direct response to Bill Maher's statement. But I think it was a great way to kind of springboard us into a topic that is so meaningful to me and the people I have on this podcast. Because we believe in this Greek pantheon that is this world of pop culture and comic books and that there are there is so much more to these comics and to these movies that we're seeing that's not just entertainment. Right. And Stan Lee didn't just inspire people to go see a movie, he inspired people to be more tolerant of their neighbors, of their brothers and sisters, to be more accepting of of all sorts of individuals because he represented those individuals. As people who simply wanted to help others.
1: And he taught people to be ambitious and take responsibility and, and all sorts of, I mean, you name it. you know, mm-hmm. It wasn't him writing the comics by the end, but he started that movement.
0: Yeah, he did. He really did. It, and, and it's hard, I think it's so strange. I don't want to say that, I don't want to directly call Bill Maher strange or, or not smart for saying what he said. But it's hard to justify discounting an entire culture that so many people believe in and that is so universal just because of an opinion. Right. Um, or, or what you're seeing on the surface level. Because to say that, you know, Stanley inspired people to go see movies or you know, or or comic book culture doesn't have any relevance or meaning shows a lack of understanding of that culture. And I think, I truly believe that Bill Maher could read a comic book and could understand that perspective, Mm -hmm. even though he might not necessarily agree with it.
1: I think that I would flip it back on Bill Maher, and I would say that that kind of thinking, the thinking of generalizing and discounting and... You you know what I'm saying? Like the the idea that an entire culture can just be fucking dumb because he doesn't understand it. Maybe that's what led Trump to get into office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's regardless really of what point. you think about you know Trump being in office, but like if you if, if if from his perspective, if you want to blame something, then then wouldn't that be it? Was a lack of understanding? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I honestly think that people who read comic books aren't. Idiots who voted for Trump, you know? People who read comic books are all different types of people, and that's why they read comic books, because comic books represent so many different types of people.
1: Right. I'm sure if you looked at who comic book readers voted for, it'd be all sorts of different... Yeah,
0: it'd be all over the (laughs) place. I mean, you go to, like, Comic-Con or something like that, and you can probably assume that it's generally more democratic than other places. Right. Um... Which, again, is a contradiction to voting for Trump. But uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, comic books is, is just another piece of literature that has meaning and has messages and and, in my opinion, has meaning and messages that can be valued by people and actually be learned by people and applied
1: mm-hmm.
0: to our surroundings and to the people we encounter every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's a good place to end. <laughs> um Yeah, I think that comics are, are super important. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't think so. So
1: Yeah, it goes without saying the side we were gonna take. <laughs> yeah
0: Yeah. Well yeah, I just I just think that rather than being mad at Bill Mayer. For that statement, it opens up a conversation of what do comic books really mean? Right,
1: or all superhero media, mm-hmm. the yeah, movies, all pop the comic culture. books, the TV shows. Yeah, they all have something they can give us.
0: Rather than just make a generalization, let's let's actually look and see <laughs> look at what truth. those things actually represent.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well. I think that's it for this podcast. Thank you, Nathan, for being on again. you got to come back another time, and we'll definitely have some more topics, and eventually maybe some more Oblivion Song. Just keep reviewing it as it comes out. <laughs> December 13th, was it? <laughs> or 12th
1: or something. 12th. Looking forward to it. I'll be back.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Ten episodes from now. I'm just gonna <laughs> You can find me on SoundCloud at The Bonfire. That's where I mainly upload. But you can also find me on uh, iTunes at The Bonfire as well. So thank you very much. This has been The Bonfire.